Net Zero Business Podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered Podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reductions targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. And welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our monthly podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions targets. I'm ED's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm delighted to be presenting this episode. That's the August 2021 edition of the Net Zero Business Podcast for you today. Since the UK government set its 2050 net zero target into law in 2019, more and more organisations are attempting to get ahead of the political curve, strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and pledging to reach net zero well before that 2050 deadline. But these targets often come with as many questions as they provide answers. What sort of timeline should be deemed ambitious and how does this vary in terms of business size and business sector? How are organisations defining and communicating key pieces of climate jargon? And what about offsetting and insetting, which come with their own webs of complexities? This series seeks to answer some of these questions through interviews with the trendsetters and trailblazers, those organisations that have set pre-2050 net zero targets. Rather than our hour-long usual episodes of the Sustainable Business Cover podcast, the Net Zero Business podcast feature one in-depth interview with an organisation that has already committed to a net zero strategy. And in this case, it's the cooperative group. After hearing from our exclusive guests, I'll then be on hand to round up a few notable net zero stories that will strengthen the business case for target setting and delivery. So yes, in the interest of keeping this episode short and to the point, I'm going to swiftly move on to introducing our guests for this episode from the cooperative group. I was fortunate enough to get time with the company's chief executive, Steve Morells, and senior ethics and sustainability manager, Barry Clavin. Earlier this year, in May to be precise, the group published a new net zero action plan, headlined by a 2040 net zero target. We're probably all aware of the co-op supermarkets, but that commitment covers all parts of the group, which also has businesses in the funeral care, legal services and insurance sectors. There are also sector-specific targets in the action plan, including an ambition for all own brand food and drink to achieve carbon neutral status by 2025, and for all care centres launching from 2021 to host electric vehicle charging points. The targets all feed into a broader 10-point climate action plan, which goes beyond the business's operations and looks at climate mitigation and adaptation priorities across the supply chain, as well as the business's touch points with consumers, communities and policymakers. In the interview that I'm about to play for you, Steve and Barry give a behind-the-scenes look at how the 10-point climate plan was developed and how it's being delivered. I hope you find that conversation as interesting as I did, so let's play that talk in full. 
A very warm welcome to the ED podcast, Stephen Barry. How are you both today? Hi, Sarah. I'm very good. I'm um, streaming in from home. It's an unusually nice day in Manchester. Great, Sarah. Good to be here. Great. And are you in Manchester as well, Barry, or whereabouts are you at? I am in um, a dry Manchester. <laughs> a rare treat. Um, great. Well, it's good to catch you both um, at, this, at the same time for the podcast. And normally we'd go straight into um, strategy, to be honest. Um, but I'd like to start with you, Stephen, that we hear often about how sustainability is set up at the co-op in a way that really is embedded. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about your engagement um, in terms of how do you make sure that climate particularly and other aspects of sustainability are prioritised at that board level um, and engaging with the sustainability professionals like Barry? Yeah, it's a great question, Sarah. Um, look, everything that, that, that we do in, in the co-op is, is focused around our vision. And, and for your listeners, our vision is cooperating for a fairer world. Now, as part of um, that focus it, it, and that vision, we, we uh, beam in and we focus into fairness in communities, fairness for our colleagues, and most importantly, fair, fairness for the climate and the planet. And as that's one of the three cohorts of our vision, it naturally is on my agenda all of the time, and it naturally is on the board's agenda all of the time. But we didn't, as you know, need the Blue Planet to kind of trigger our consciousness in this place, um, because the co-op's been doing really good work for decades, frankly, facing into um, this real worry and this important issue. Um, and, and in a way, we've been very fortunate because we've had the likes of Barry or, or, or Catherine as our kind of uh, environmental, sustainable climate experts that are regularly able to um, inform myself, my executive team, the wider business and the group about our progress and how we are moving this agenda forward. And as you know, um, at our AGM, our members get a chance to help direct where we focus and climate and sustainability has been a, an important request by the owners, the members of the organisation to focus in, in that area. As you know, we have a, a, a strong 10 point plan. Um, it's driving really good ambitions. But again, we start from a good base. You know, these last 15 years, We've been reducing emission levels throughout our operations, including our stores, by over 70 percent. And um, uh, that's meant that we've become carbon neutral um, very recently in those operations and, and our stores. So we've got a great rich history. It's very much um, in the top five things that we're focused on as an organisation. The board is. Our members recognise this to be a key point of difference and uh, deliverable for the co-op. And, and as such, um, there probably isn't a week that goes by where there isn't um, a discussion going on around our plans and how we're helping others. Great. And I'd like to really dive into that 10 point plan. Um, and there's a lot in there for um, headline targets building on that carbon neutrality for stores that you mentioned, Steve. 
um, include 2025 as a deadline for carbon neutrality across all overall products in food and drink, um, and 2040 as a deadline for group net zero. Um, I think a lot of businesses are grappling with when is a suitable timeline. Um, so I'd love to hear about how th those deadlines were, were determined. I don't know which one of you would like to take that that one on. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll start and I'm sure Barry will, will come in here. But um, what we're trying to do is move as fast as we can um, at, and working, I'd say, within three principles. And the three principles that we're working to are follow the science. In other words, make sure that our progress is effectively and accurately measured properly. Never leave anybody behind. So the likelihood of these changes will bring about costs. What we've got to make sure is that actually um, it, it doesn't uh, preclude anybody from not being able to make the right choices and the right changes that they need to make to. So how do we absorb um, this change and bring about, as the third principle, systemic change through partnership? There is, this isn't for me about who's got, who's gonna get there fastest, who's got the best list. This is far bigger than just one organization. This has to be about cooperation, about partnering and about sharing. And um, whilst we've set some timeline targets that are generally in the ballpark uh, of others that you will have heard in this space, um, net zero by 2040, we're probably running a bit faster around own branded products, carbon neutral by 2025. But we're going at a, at, at, as fast as we can, but, in, but making sure that we take others with us. Um, and uh, I think that's the only and the right way that, that we can go about these things. Now, of course, sorting out our own operations, sorting out our own branded products is where we've started. And that's where you can see us kind of moving faster. We've got to go all the way back down the supply chain, though, to farms and help producers in the same way. But equally with our branded suppliers, encourage them to kind of get on this journey. So it's kind of felt like deal with our own operations, our own stores, our own funeral branches, deal with our own branded products, and then um, start to deal with branded and the farming side of things. But it's got to be a real collective. Yeah, I mean, Steve just summed it up brilliantly there, which is, you know, we have to work uh, step by step with partners and move away from the need for a, the net zero deadline to be a, a you know a competitive space so we're aligned with the brc with the national farmers union with the food and drink federation we're all going for 2040 which means that we can collaborate much more effectively the shorter term time frames within there the 2025 for example is because being really honest about these things it's very difficult for a corporate to make plans out to 2040 even with the best intentions so what we've done to be very open and transparent about this is to say that we're going to set a series of five-year targets to get to 2040. First one takes us out to 2025. This is what we'll achieve by 2025. In advance of that, we'll set a new target to get us to 2030, and we'll take big bites out of this huge challenge as we go along. I think the reality is technology will move so fast, business will move so fast, policy will move so fast, we'll probably be refreshing that target way before 2025. But I think as a, an indicator of our, you know, being completely credible 
open and honest about what we can achieve, when we can achieve it, setting ourselves science-based targets to get there. That's our position. That makes complete sense, definitely. Um, I wanted to just interject there with some of the language used around the target. So we always ask on this because it's different for different business, Barry, um, how you're approaching um, carbon neutrality and net zero in terms of um, different definitions. I know you're absolutely right to ask that question. And we need, we not just all as corporates and generally and society needs to understand these terms so that we can better engage people with it and our customers and consumers and members better. So for us, keeping it very simply, net zero for us is, is the end game. So by 2040, when we get to net zero, we will be in a verified position that we've done everything possible to remove every bit of carbon that we possibly can from running our operations and from the products we put on the shelf. We've done everything we can. Now, obviously, society will still have a rump of carbon to deal with, whether from agriculture, transport, heavy industry, whatever it may be, and we'll have the same. But at that point, we've done it all, and we will compensate for the remaining bit Carbon neutral is the journey to get there. So we will be reducing the carbon from our products and operations as fast as we can as we get to 2040, but we will still be emitting carbon on that journey. Now we could take the decision, fine, we're reducing, we won't worry about that carbon that we're still putting out, or you could take responsibility for it, which is what we've decided to do. So the carbon neutral position means that as we go on the journey over the next 20 years, we hope not to be, be a net contributor to climate change from the products, own brand products we put on the shelf and from the operations. We will compensate for those emissions at the same time. So we will be neutral all the way through, but reducing whilst we're carbon neutral, job done at net zero in theory. I think this is um, just to interject, this, this transparency point that, that Barry's echoing is really important, Sarah, because um, I, 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 I think internationally let alone nationally businesses do need to be honest and clear and transparent around the journey that we've got to go on um you know this isn't about and this mustn't be about spin it, this has to be based uh around i think the principles that we've described but but most importantly through a through a mirror of transparency by uh, recognizing that getting to net zero is through the journey of carbon neutrality and offset, then I think we'll we'll um, be able to have the right conversations to move as quickly as we can, rather than um, unknowingly suggest that we're able to get there a lot faster than we can. You know, this is this is um, big stuff that needs careful planning, and, and as Barry rightfully says, you know. Neither he nor I, you might still be here in, in uh, 25 years time, but he and I won't be. So we've got to, I think, be very transparent and robust in the mythology that we use. Got it. And I was going to ask where offsetting sits in the plan, but that clarifies it um, really well. So perhaps I could ask instead about the, the kind of offsetting that's being um, backed. So is, is that um, nature-based products that the co-op is supporting? It's a mixture. Uh, mm -hmm honest uh, Sarah but one of the principles that we're very uh, mindful of uh, obviously we go for the highest standards it's the gold standards it's verified it's measurable it's real it's permanent and, and all the rest of it but we we also look at this through a social lens as well so yes it is about the, the carbon mitigation where appropriate um, but it's also about social impacts as well because and what you'll see is the thread throughout all this and what Steve will say is that 
a fair transition and how we help individuals, producers, communities transition is the only way we're going to achieve this, to be, to be honest. And that's in terms of how we, you know, encourage adaptation within our supply chain, how we help farmers in the UK to, to move forward and how we use our offsetting programme to help people transition to a new way of producing goods and living our lives in communities. It's all, if it doesn't join up, if we haven't got the social and the environmental absolutely locked in together, it's not going to be sustainable from our point of view. So we're very mindful in, even in the offsetting programmes that we support, what's the social opportunity and need here that we can support? Got it. I did want to come back onto that because looking at the plan, I see a lot of people facing stuff really. So measures to um, get rid of financed emissions through pension funds, um, measures to support, as you say, climate adaptation in supply chains. Those suppliers won't just be decarbonising, they'll be building in resilience as well. Um, so there's a clear, as you say, thread of climate justice um, running through there. And that's not something I see in a lot of the plans um, I look at. And you've mentioned why that's so important for you. But what do you think could be done, as you say, to get more companies um, to take this kind of approach? You know, I, I think um, clearly... We've been alive to green financing for a while now, Sarah. We've been pioneering it um, for a while. Uh, our pension trustees some years back started to move away from high carbon investments. Um, and uh, you, you may have heard of Richard Curtis's Make My Money Matter um, program. We'd be a big advocate of that to help um, businesses uh, make that journey. And it's a few years now, um, but we obviously uh, issued our first green sustainable bond, um, one of the first ones in the marketplace, as, as um, you know, a great example of how we're bringing climate into um, our strategy, our strategic decisions. I, I suppose coming back to your question about how do we encourage others on the journey, one of the reasons why I took up the chairmanship of the BRC's climate roadmap is to um, effectively develop a blueprint that all retail businesses, manufacturers, farmers effectively can use to help them on that journey. Because as I said at the beginning, the only way I think we are going to um, get to where we need to get to, and we, you know, we've seen the recent reports in the last um, 10 days and, and the time uh, challenge is through sharing, through collaborating, through cooperating, and the BRC roadmap will will develop this blueprint that others can then use to help navigate their businesses along that way. Did you have anything to add on that one, Barry? Oh no, no I think Steve covered it. I mean, the only the other slight uh, thing that I'd add to it, and on a slight tangent, is that we're just very lucky at the cope that we've got absolutely enthused and engaged colleagues who push this agenda forward for us as well. So we don't have to push the guys in our finance department. They're coming to us with ideas about how do we align our climate KPIs to our foreign exchange rates? How do we align our climate KPIs to our overdraft? So, you know, we this allows us to build a real sense of unity of purpose around this particular agenda and build some internal momentum as well as external, because that's so important. But on this particular agenda, like many others that the COP seeks to respond to, you know, we've got this absolute wealth of goodwill in our colleagues who me and Steve don't, Steve don't need to go to. They come to us with fantastic ideas to put forward to help us respond in ways that we haven't even thought of. 
Great. And um, yeah, you really talked about there how that principle of um, systemic change through partnership can happen internally and externally. But one of the external things we haven't touched on, I don't think, um, is the fact that the climate plan has a commitment to advocate with government. Um, obviously, we're on a call at a crucial moment, less than 100 days until COP26. Um, so I guess it would make sense to focus that question there um, and ask Steve how the company is preparing for COP26 and, and what it hopes to see um, in terms of policy outcome. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very excited. Um, as you say, countdown, it, um, it's getting closer rather than further away. Uh, and I think we go into COP26 with um, optimism and, and belief, but you're quite right to ask, you know, what, what are the things that, that uh, as an organisation, you'll be holding the government um, to account on? What are the things that you're asking the government to get involved in? Because um, in the same way that we were just talking about green financing, that there needs to be incentives by government to help businesses along this journey. Uh, we're tending to focus certainly on um, lobbying and influencing government, probably in, in around three areas. That, and these are in no particular order, but there's this... Um, this whole issue around gross national income, and you'll remember that um, the government committed in the past um, to have 0.7% of its GNI going to international aid. Um, in truth, we are doing that all of the time. We're committed a, as a business to that. There is, um, we're asking the, and urging the government to rethink and to get itself back on to that 0.7 level. Um, we're also encouraging the government to um, bring about planned legislation to protect natural forests from deforestation. I mean, one of the things that we've been doing our own self is to move our supply of corned beef away um, from the rainforest to more sustainable um, production across Europe. But nonetheless, we need government to step in and bring through legislation. And then finally, in a way, and I think this is probably for big business um, and larger organisations, but plays exactly the, to the transparency point, is for the government to be a little bit more ambitious about the reporting requirements as, of large businesses so that there aren't any smokes and mirrors and, and that um, organisations are reporting accurately and fairly. Um, those would be the, 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 the big cohorts that we're constantly lobbying government for. Um, and, and I think we're very optimistic about um, coming out of COP26 with, with clarity, a commitment of businesses to come together and a recognition that, that action is, is absolutely required. Words are no longer enough in this space. You know, we, we have to now act. Businesses have to act. And those that are slightly ahead um, of others need actually to help bring others through on the journey. So we've touched on, I think, a lot of systemic change through partnership internally and externally. And that's not to say that the in-house work isn't collaborative. Um, obviously, it involves um, colleagues of, of all kinds. But I do want to just have a look at the at the timelines, really, to, to finish to finish off. Um, and look at, you mentioned for both of you the need to tackle what you can control, so your stores and your own brands. 
um, and then to move out across the value chain as it gets closer to 2040. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the first things that are happening. Um, and then, Barry, I know you said it's really hard to plan out to, to 2040 and that you need to be nimble and, and reassess um, regularly. But some of the things that might take a little bit um, longer, so closer to 2040, we'll be looking at. Sure, of course. Uh, I mean, in terms of the near term things, so when it comes to our operations, I think one of the the positives is that we've been working on it for a long, a long time and we've achieved great things in terms of switching to renewables, energy efficiency, reducing high impact refrigerants, all that sort of stuff. Um, which means that we're at, when it comes to our operations, we're dealing with some of the, uh, you know, harder to reach sort of solutions now already in, in that uh, area because we've done so much. Um, although we do acknowledge that we've still got an outstanding challenge when it comes to our logistics. Um, we do use HGVs as part of our logistics. We don't think there is a economic technical solution available for that at the moment. And that's one of the areas where we're aligning ourselves with other retailers and the likes of the logistics UK in the UK to come up with well, what do what does society need to allow us to make that transition over a reasonable period of time in an economic way if there isn't a solution here and now. That's from the operational side. When it comes to the products, um, what we've sought to do is that in, in alignment with our, 20, our first five-year plan to 2025, our first science-based target is an 11% reduction in the impact of our products. At one level, 11% doesn't sound that much, but we know that 11% uh, on our products is equal to the 100% impact of our operations because our products are so big. That's the, that's the sort of relative impact that we talk about there. So we've developed six pathways to get to that 11%, where we've obviously taken external expert advice on that, etc. And so we've got these six pathways to engage our supply base with in particular and saying, look, these are the things we need to achieve collectively by 2025 if we're going to hit that 11%. And that's a range of things from looking at some of the inputs to the uh, animal feed that we've got, looking at increased on-farm efficiencies from our farming groups, looking at further reductions in packaging and increasing recycled content in packaging, all the way through to and uh, something that we've achieved already this year is to take uh, off the shelves peat-based growing materials at the carp and switch to alternative growing materials because, and that does make a significant impact of our footprint just because of how carbon intensive peat can be. Um, so we've got that we've got that pathway set out. And what's really important about that is that we don't think one, we've got time for a scattergun approach where we just, you know, we go after everything and anything where we think there is a, a potential for it. We need to know that if we do these six big things, we will get 11% out of our footprint in theory by 2025. And it means that we can also work incredibly constructively with our suppliers rather than them being on the hook thinking that they have to come up with new initiatives every five minutes to keep us pleased. We're going, look, no, if you can help us on these things collectively, we can get to where we want to get to in the timeframes that we need to get to. Now, in terms of those things out to 2040, as you say, quite hard to look at that. But I think that one of the, the things that we will have as a society is our association with food is not, let's say, the same as our association with a gas boiler. I mean, we're going to make the switch from gas boilers to alternative heating arrangements. And I don't think there's going to be too much of an emotional wrench with that. Our attachments to food is very deep rooted. It's very cultural. It's very personal. And the transition for us in our diets over the next 20 years is going to be probably more than we've probably seen over such a short period of time in our history. And how we move consumers and move with consumers on that journey is going to take some time. 
I think it will happen, but it's going to take some time. So I think some of that stuff, how we work with consumers, how we move society along globally to have a, a different approach to sustainable diets is going to be really interesting, the right thing to do. I'll probably just also add on that. We're probably very fortunate because in the UK, we probably do have some of the more progressive uh, individuals and, and people out there. You know, we've got a long history of you know responding to animal welfare issues, responding to other other environmental issues, animal testing. There's a long history of UK consumers being on the forefront of some of these um, ethical, sustainable consumption issues. And we're also probably, you know, probably amongst the leaders in terms of vegan alternatives, vegetarian alternatives, flex, all that sort of stuff. So we're probably quite fortunate as a business that we've got a great consumer base, a great, you know, population to work with uh, over the next 20 years on this journey. A big thank you once again to Steve and Barry for their time and their insight. Edie will be keeping abreast of further sustainability announcements from Co-op Group in the future. Of course, the Net Zero conversation has been gaining momentum far beyond the reach of Edie and the Cooperative Group over the last month. And with that in mind, it's time for our Net Zero news in brief. That's the part of this podcast where we pull out three key headlines from recent weeks. Firstly, I want to highlight a major report from Oxfam, emphasising the importance of credibility in the development of net zero targets and strategies. The report warns that, at present, national governments and businesses are over-emphasising the role of offsetting in their plans. Whether they're choosing to go down the route of emerging man-made carbon capture technologies or for nature-based solutions, the report warns, there are numerous pitfalls. On nature-based solutions, the report flags risks to biodiversity and food security associated with poorly planned tree planting schemes at an unprecedented scale. Coming on now to some announcement from businesses. Transport Group Stagecoach has unveiled a new roadmap to reach carbon neutrality across the business by 2050, but it is also calling on the UK government to fix what it calls contradictory policies associated with the sector. It claims that stronger transport policy could help it and other firms in the sector go further and faster on decarbonisation. And our third story is from the world's largest protein producer, JBS. The company has joined the Race to Zero campaign after announcing a 2040 net zero target this spring, but it was named in a recent analysis from Ceres as one of many US-based food and beverage firms not disclosing all Scope 3 emissions and not working towards a 1.5 degree aligned science-based target. So coming back there in Story 3 to the importance of credibility. Well, we've had lots of food for four and we're just about out of time. So I'd like to thank you all for joining me on this month's Net Zero Business podcast. If your organisation has a net zero story, please drop me and my team an email at newsdesk at fav-house.com. That's Foxtrot Alpha Victoria-house.com. And the rest of the team will be back with our usual sustainable business covered podcast in due course. The next episode of that series will air on Friday 10th of September and it will be a special two months to go until COP26 episode hosted as part of our Countdown to COP26 focus week taking place that week. In the meantime, you can subscribe to and follow the ED podcast portfolio on SoundCloud and Spotify. But until next time, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.